Hello and welcome back to the God Story podcast, exploring the big picture of the Bible to bring us back to the gospel. I'm Brent Siddle and uh, I'm joined once again by Rido, the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church in Palmerston North. And uh, we're here, not in Palmerston North today, Ian, but back in Whanganui in the upstairs space at the Space Studio Gallery at St Hill Street, a recently renovated gallery, beautiful gallery. Uh, Ian that we're sitting in, uh, gallery downstairs with local artists who have space upstairs, so if you hear uh, some background noise, pay no attention, it's the local artists at work. So welcome back Ian. Thanks for having me again, Brent. Oh, it's a pleasure. Now, what did we learn last time in Hebrews chapter 10? How did the writer of Hebrews bring all the strands of the letter together? So what we're seeing is, as we come kind of towards the end of the book, is that all those threads uh, that have been happening in the, in the previous 10 chapters are all kind of flowing towards one, one thing. And that one thing is that Jesus is the one who can take us to the Father. And he's kind of, he's our high priest, he is the sacrifice. Uh, all of those things are kind of coming together. And what has he done? He's made us holy. What have we learned about the Lord Jesus Christ, in uh, particularly in chapter 10? Well, we've got that idea again that keeps popping up the once and for all that he is the one who has uh, taken the sacrifice he is the one that that um, has kind of paid for our sin once and for all no more needs to be done uh, and he's now sat down at the right hand his work is done mm. and in what sense is our passage today I think you've said that it's the biggest if in the bible what do you mean by that it sounded a little bit rude there it's an if, is an if, not not anything else. Sorry, <laughs> but you, uh, the, the, it, I think it is the biggest if in the Bible uh, because you've got this idea here uh, right at the beginning uh, of the passage that we're looking at in verse twenty-six. For if we go on sinning, ah mm. uh, uh, yes, in uh, the NIV that that it, it starts with the if there, if we deliberately keep on sinning. Mm-hmm. So well, let's, let's read verses 26 to 27 of chapter 10, reading again from the ESV. I think you have the... I've got both. Oh, you've got both the, the ESV ESV. and the NIV open. Good for you. Okay, I've just got ESV. Verse 26, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Okay, well, why is verse 26 so important uh, in uh, in Hebrews? Well, I, th- I think it's so important because it sounds like on the surface of it that if Jesus has done all this thing, but then we go we go and sin, then we're done. You know, kind of we that's it. We've lost our, our salvation. We kind of we're done away with. Yes, it does sound rather um, forbidding, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. Yeah, and there's a, it's a clear warning, obviously. There's, there's these warnings that pop up all the way through Hebrews. If you keep doing this, then this is what you should expect. And what's our expectation here? A fearful expectation of judgment. Mm. What does he mean by uh, deliberate sin? Yeah, and this is, this is the kind of the, the big issue, really, in interpreting this verse. Uh, and I, I've heard a number of people say to me, oh, that person did this thing. They deliberately sinned, therefore they're no longer a Christian. Well, they no longer they can't be saved if they've done that, and I'm sure we've all looked at this passage at one point or another and thought, oh, maybe I did I do that thing? Was that a deliberate sin? And my question is, what what isn't a deliberate sin? <laughs> but but I, I think the the whole 
idea here is we need to understand the context of what this of who this is being written to and what they're kind of living through. And I think the deliberate sin is deliberately turning away from Jesus and rejecting him. So it's written to probably a, a group of Jewish people who are working out who Jesus is. And we've just spent t- nearly 10 chapters working our way through saying, this is who he is, this is what he's done. Uh, if you then turn your back on him and you do not accept him for who you are, then there is no hope of salvation for you because they're just the only hope of salvation is in Jesus. This verse has had some pretty strange interpretations through the centuries, haven't it? You, uh, hasn't it? You were referring to one in your sermon by, it was in the Shepherd of Hermas. Yeah. Yeah, so in that it talks about, which was a very early kind of church history, kind of early church document. Uh, and in it they say that after you're baptised, uh, you can, if you sin once deliberately, it's okay, but it, it, any more than that, then you're done. Um, that, that's it. And so people would wait until their deathbed before they would get baptised because they were so afraid uh, that if they sinned after they were baptised, uh, then that was it, they would lose their salvation. So people literally were delaying their baptism till the deathbed. Yes. Yep. Because of, because of their interpretation of this passage. Yes. And so it led to quite a bit of problems because you, you I think Constantine did that, the, the emperor. Uh, but you have other people who uh, are about, you know, kind of uh, in that process of dying, but then they're baptised and they recover and then they live a life after that. And they're like, oh no, I can't sin anymore. And they're like quite worried about what they've done for the rest of their lives. Wow. So, well, obviously, uh, why should we read this verse in the context of all that has gone before? Obviously, we need to keep in mind everything that the writers told us about the once-for-all and sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. Yeah, you know, we've just spent nearly 10 chapters talking about how Jesus is sufficient to then say, well, he's not actually sufficient to cover your future sin as well as your past sin. It kind of doesn't make sense, does it? No, so there's got to be a problem with that interpretation. We're missing something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, To what extent then is this verse referring to continuing to obey the law? Now, we've mentioned these uh, Jewish Christians, so presumably to go on deliberately sinning, it would be, according to uh, that thinking, would be to continue obeying the law and sacrificing. Yeah, I, I think it's not necessarily kind of the the obedience to the law it's a problem but thinking that the obedience to the law will bring salvation uh, and so that's the, that's what i think is the difference is that if you go back to the law thinking that it will bring you salvation then you need to understand what's ahead of you it's judgment because it cannot bring you salvation mm. yeah so he's really addressing a pastor addressing this issue of concern they've got and this do we really trust jesus and how can yeah. we trust jesus and is he enough and do we need to carry on in our in our traditions and so on. Because how many times have we been told uh, through the book or through this letter, um, you know, the, the priest did sacrifices over and over and over again and what did they produce? It didn't produce anything. And so you're going to go back to that? You know, that doesn't, it, it's not going to work. Mm. Well, why can the law and the Old Testament sacrificial system then not help us if we're followers of Jesus? They can, they can help us in the sense of the law isn't bad. It reveals who God is. It reveals uh, how we live in relationship with him. But it cannot, it cannot get us into relationship with God. It actually excludes us from relationship with God because what it does is it's like a huge light that just shines on us. And what it does is it, sh- it shows the darkness in our hearts. And so that's the big problem is that what the law does, because it's so good, uh, it shines the light on us. And, and when, that do- when it does that, it reveals our hearts and what's in our hearts not good things, it's their sin and corruption. Uh, and so 
it shows us why we should be excluded from relationship rather than bringing us into relationship. Okay, well, let's read the next bit. Hebrews 10, verses 28 to 31. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be delivered by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged, very strong language, and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Well, wow, that's strong, isn't it? Is this another hypothetical warning passage, Rito, or a real warning passage? No, I think it, I think it is a real warning, uh, not in the sense of, though, we need, we need to understand the context. What, what's being said is that if after seeing and understanding uh, all that I've said and then going back and thinking that the law is going to save you, this is what you should expect. You should expect judgment. You should expect a kind of death and, and punishment from God. Mm. So these will be folk who'll be going back to sacrificing animals, presumably, in this in the temple system. Yeah, that that that, and, and trying to you know kind of obey every every little aspect of the law, thinking that they can do that for their salvation. Mm. Well, we've we've dealt with this issue before in previous podcasts, but I guess it's helpful to deal with it again. Can we ever lose our salvation? No, uh, is the is the simple answer to that, isn't it? Because, and this this passage is not really talking about losing our salvation, but it, it does crop up, you know, kind of in our own hearts, doesn't it? And we do start to question uh, how we're going ourselves. Yeah, I think I think biblically you can't argue a case for that because if God brings us in, He's going to bring us all the way in. Now the question really is, though. Have we really been brought all the way in? And so can we have the, uh, I think Calvin talks about the, 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 the sparks of the spirit. So can people look like that they're saved but not actually be saved? I think that's possible um, in terms of what we see is maybe not always what God is doing and what you know kind of objectively is happening eternally. What we see kind of in this world may not always be the same. So how do we respond to someone then who says, well, I, um, I don't really feel saved. I trust in Jesus, but I, subjectively, mm. in terms of my emotion, I just doubt and I just, I'm just not certain. What's the, your response to that? Join the club, firstly. <laughs> <laughs> we all feel like that at times, don't we? More, more others than, than not. And Often it can be there can be certain sin that hasn't been dealt with that that can kind of throw those things up that that might need to be discussed and, and kind of worked through in, in a pastoral kind of sense, uh, but also we need to be reminded. We need, I need to be reminded all the time of this is not about my obedience. It's about Jesus' obedience, His faithfulness rather than my faith even, uh, and so he, he is faithful to us. He is the one that's brought us in. And if you believe in that, if you believe that He has done that, then. There is no fear of judgment. There is no fear of falling away. So is this passage merely a warning for those first century Jewish Christians not to go back to the law, or does it also apply to us today in some way? I think predominantly it's about, it's written to them, obviously, but and so I think it's written to them in their context. And it's written so harshly because I think it's trying to really push forward that idea, do not go back to obedience to the law uh, because this really is um, kind of all the hope that you can have there is judgment. And so I think predominantly it's written for them. 
but as with all scripture, it still has an application to us in the future uh, that if we are trying to find salvation outside of uh, kind of coming and knowing Jesus, then what, what hope is there? There is judgment. Yeah. How do we know then if we're truly saved is another question from listeners. How do we know then if we're truly saved? Well, there's no mark that gets put on your body. There's no kind of uh, thing that you wear or maybe a haircut or something that you get, which has happened in the past. That was the, always the, you know, you, people have done different things, you know, wearing a cross around your neck or, you know, other little things like that, you know, shows that I'm a real Christian. But there isn't such thing. Uh, and again, it's subjective, you know, kind of that, that, that feeling rather than objective in knowing that God is the one who has brought salvation rather than me kind of seeking it out and so i think that that's the thing that we need to keep coming back to is that is this true yes did jesus really die and was he really resurrected is he really reigning right now yes well has he called me into that kingdom well if i believe that he's dead and now reigning then uh yes then I don't, there isn't things I need to worry about in terms of that. And so the grounds of our assurance is exactly what we've been talking about over the last however many weeks, the cross of Christ and the atonement. Now, can we just go through that again for anyone who may be listening to this podcast for the first time? What actually happens on the cross when Jesus dies and how does that bring us assurance? Yeah, and so we, we've talked about this quite a few times, haven't we? Mm. Uh, and in particular, the, the idea of the, that exchange that happens, that... Jesus takes uh, my sin and my death uh, and I receive the benefits of, of kind of having a relationship with God, which is life, uh, but also righteousness as well. And because that's objective, because God is saying, this is who you now are, that means I don't, it doesn't matter how I feel or even necessarily if I, what I do, um, that, that kind of affects that. The, the important thing is what God has declared me. Mm. Okay, let's ca- carry on with verses 32 to 34 of chapter 10. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better position and an abiding one. Okay, so Rito, what is the writer saying to these people here then in those verses? So I think what's being referred to here is a time of persecution that these people have gone through. And so that they, uh, I think later on talks about their, their property was taken and all for kind of exploring who Jesus is and believing in him. And so what's being said is, remember what you went through. Was that worth it is basically the, the big thing that's happening here. Was it worth that you going through all of that hardship uh, after the, the kind of idea, after you've been enlightened, being after you've come to believe in Jesus? Uh, was it worth it? And now you're considering giving up on that and going back. Now we need to understand, we need to be sympathetic here that of course um, that's going to be the easier route, isn't it? And you can see the pressure and the coercion that, that's been put, placed on them to go back and kind of start sacrificing and just go go back being obedient to the law, that would be so much easier, wouldn't it? Mm. Yes, yes. 35 to 39, uh, which finishes the chapter, chapter 10. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. 
but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Okay, so what is the writer urging the Hebrews to do here then? Yeah, that in uh, verse 35 there, just the start of this, it's really powerful, isn't it? Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. And mm. so it's the hope of salvation in the future, um, that Jesus has come, that he will return, uh, and that hope, uh, hope of salvation in the future, that there is nothing uh, that if we turn away and go and start following the law again, what hope have we got? We've got no hope. There's no confidence. How might these verses apply to us today in our culture? We've talked about how the verses applied to these Hebrew Christians in the first century AD under severe persecution. But how how do they apply to us today, thinking about this, Rito? Yeah, I think that you know, persecution happens in different ways, doesn't it? And I think understanding that there is always cultural pressure not to... Uh, kind of uh, uh, follow Jesus, but always there is a lot. Of, there is always cultural pressure, and that can come in all lots of different forms. Uh, and I think particularly, kind of, it's come and follow us because you know we have the the keys to the good life. Really, is, is the way that people kind of think that you know if you want to be whoever you want to be, you know that that's the keys to the good life. But kind of standing back and saying, no, I don't think that's good for human beings. It's not going to be good for my flourishing. But actually, following who Jesus is will actually lead to the good life, uh, which is much harder, uh, but also truthful. Yeah, in what ways are we today tempted to go back and fit into our Western culture? I think there's huge pressure to do that, isn't it? I think at times the church has not got that right. Uh, I think at times we have kind of, we have tried to fit in, try and be cool or, you know, relevant to whatever term we kind of want to use. Uh, and so we're going to constantly kind of push that away. It doesn't mean that we just kind of become kind of culturally kind of just run the other way. We don't want to do that at all. We want to actually um, kind of be culturally appropriate, but without embracing culture to the point where we have lost the character of who we really are. Yeah, is that a problem with uh, parts of the seeker-friendly churches, perhaps, who are prone to maybe thinking this, or, or the prosperity gospel people? Is that all part of trying to package the gospel to our modern Western affluence? I, th- I think it can be. I mean, and at the heart of the seeker-friendly kind of thing is something really good. You know, we want to engage with people, we want to engage with where they're at, and, and I think that that's what the church should do. But I think at the end of the day, you're not kind of stepping back and asking some more serious questions about what does it mean to be the church? How are we shaped? How are we shaped and conformed to what God is like rather than confirmed in what the world wants us to be like? Mm. Okay, so how do we persevere today then in the culture we live in? What does perseverance look like for us? Yeah, I think that that can be a a difficult thing kind of in terms of just it's... I find the perseverance is is most the most difficult part of that is the getting up every day and you kind of you know reading my Bible and praying and uh, you know focusing you know seeing seeing that my days should be full of worship when it's often full of kids and full of yelling and you know kind of full of are you doing the yelling or are the children doing the yelling? There's a lot of both. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's full of swimming lessons and you know just everything that you know getting to school and all that type of stuff that that's just taxing, <laughs> you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it is tiring. Uh, and I think that's the heart of perseverance than anything, is just the, okay, my day needs to be one of worship rather than selfishness. And um, 
you know, what is God shaping me towards and what is, how is he growing my character kind of in this. That can be really difficult to see as well. Yeah, why should we be suspicious of the, of the narrative our culture is giving us, do you think? Yeah, I think the, every culture has, has the same goal. It, it wants to provide the good life for its people. You know, it, and the, we always need to be suspicious, though, because it will never lead to that. And, there's, and when you, you kind of look at culture and kind of start to break it down, you see there's, there's forms of righteousness. It's very religious, actually. It's, kind of, it's quite odd how every culture has a religious aspect. It's, it's actually not odd because that's how God has created us to be. Uh, but there's forms of righteousness, there's forms of uh, forgiveness and, and, uh, or, and often non-forgiveness, which is often the, often the case. But we need to be suspicious because it will not lead us to the good life. Even though it promises it, it offers, us a, it, offers it to us. And so particularly around secularism, it's basically offering everything that you want. You, know, you can have anything from around the world that you want. You can walk down the street and get pretty much any food from any place of the world. If not, you can just stay at home and have it delivered. You can watch any movie or anything that you want. And so it's its vision of the good life is that we are here to come and serve you. You can have whatever you want. It will make you happy, but ultimately it will not make you happy. And, and this has a particular vision of the self too, self-realisation or self-actualisation or whatever you want to call it. Because it's not only you can have whatever you want, but you can be whatever you want mm, as well. Mm. Yeah, so identity and, and personality is part of it. Yeah, yeah. And so it's this kind of this thing where I, I become... Um, the, the self is the thing that, that I, I'm self-defined rather than defining it by you know, a higher power. Mm. And uh, self-realisation, self-actualisation, we can, we can be who we want and do what we want. Yeah, but I th- you know, kind of in reality... It, it, that will not lead to, to a happy life. Will it? Well, I was going to say that that will lead to a lot of frustration in the immediate foreseeable short-term future. It can do, yeah. 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 Because how many of us can actually do that? Well, we all try. <laughs> you know, ultimately, that's just what it mean, I think it means to be a fallen human is that we're, we're all trying to do that. Uh, but ultimately, I don't think it'll be, it will be healthy for us. Mm. Okay, so why should we be optimistic today then in spite of all the difficulties and all the pressures to conform? You know, I don't think we need to hugely worry about culture, you know, kind of in terms of what it's doing, because it will ultimately be, be shown for what it is, that, that these things come and go, cultures come and go, and, and, and you know, in 10 years' time, there'll be a, a, a different thing that kind of crops up, and we'll be, we need to assess and understand that. But I think we, particularly, we need to understand what people are seeking. You know, what, why are we seeking the, you know, kind of hope? Why are we seeking the good life in those things? And, and I think they're positive things. We need to say, yeah, yeah, those things are actually positive. We may not buy into all of them, but we need to unpack them and say, actually, it's the gospel that will take us all the way there. You're seeking something good. You're not actually seeking something um, bad or destructive. You're actually seeking something good, but it will never take you where you want to go. Yes, uh, will only the stories of our Western culture will only take us so far, I think, yeah. is, is the, two, the two narratives. Yeah, and so... What we need to do, I think, as the church is show how when rather than disengage from culture or rather, rather than being against it or rather than just fully embracing it, we, we don't want to take any of those positions. I think we want to take a position of standing back and saying, saying, yeah, you, you're after something good. Uh, 
let me show you how you can actually get there uh, and show them the gospel through that, that mm. kind of creative way. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you, Ian. Rido, the Reverend Ian Reed of King's Grace Presbyterian Church in Palmerston, North New Zealand, and we've been today at the Space Studio Gallery at St. Hill Street, Whanganui, and our thanks to Sarah Williams for letting us use her upstairs space. And uh, next time, Rita, we're coming on to look at the start of Hebrews chapter 11. Thank you so much. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com. Thank you.